to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. If you find yourself in a situation where you're tempted and you're on the verge of falling into sin, it's perfectly acceptable and highly advisable to flee. Run. Get out of the situation as quick as you can. As stupid as you might feel, as weird as it might look, running out of a situation, it's worth it. Do it. Flee from it. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Genesis chapters 39 through 40 in a message titled, The Testing of Joseph. Now here's Pastor Brian. To Joseph, God was not back in the land of Canaan with his family, God was with him in Egypt. Even though Egypt was an idolatrous nation and did not worship the true God, Joseph understood that God was with him there. Joseph is the kind of young guy that would have gone off to a university somewhere and he would not have succumbed to the pressures there. He would not have backslidden. He would not have lost his faith. He would not have, you know, got sucked into the party scene and all of that kind of a thing. And here's the thing that we have to understand. It's entirely and completely possible to live victoriously over sexual sin. Sometimes today, some of the stuff that we hear people saying, it almost seems like it's inevitable that at some point in time, you're just going to, you know, have to give in to this. That's not the case. And we need to be careful that we're not deceived by that. A commitment to the Lord, like the commitment Joseph had, will safeguard us against the temptation that will certainly come our way. So we have to maintain that consciousness of God. You see, Joseph saw this temptation from Potiphar's wife as a great wickedness and a sin against God. Part of the problem today in our culture is we no longer see sin as a great wickedness. We no longer see it as something that is an affront to God. We no longer see it as something that is highly offensive to God. We see it as just, well, you know, it was a mistake. It was an accident. It was, uh, well, you know, I just, I got into the flesh temporarily. And I think to some extent, and, you know, believe me, I'm all for the grace of God, but I think to some extent we've misinterpreted the grace of God. And in our misinterpretation of the grace of God, we've diminished the offense of sin before God. And so sometimes we can be simultaneously living in sin and, you know, 10 minutes later in church worshiping God and there's, there's no conflict or, or contradiction even in our spirits. We, we kind of compartmentalize our lives and we just don't think of it in the way that we ought to think of it. Joseph saw this as great wickedness and sin against God. And even though... Our culture is inundated with sexual immorality. And, and because of the familiarity with these things nowadays, we sort of become desensitized 
You know, the way to keep from becoming desensitized is to stay in the word. Let the word keep refreshing you. Let the word keep washing you. Let the word keep convicting you and you won't become desensitized. You'll look at something and say, that's wicked. And therefore, I can't look at it. That's, that's sin against the Lord. So I'm not gonna dabble with that. I'm not gonna entertain that. I'm not gonna move at all in that direction. Joseph is a great example for us in this area as a young man. His commitment was to God. For those that have struggled with sexual sin, you know, there are lots of ideas that people have about how to, you know, ultimately gain a victory. And there are different programs that people have developed and accountability groups and, you know, all different kinds of things. And I've talked to many, many people who have struggled in these areas, and they, they've told the stories about the accountability partner and about the, the filters on the internet and about, you know, the, the, the group therapies and all that they've gone to. But, you know, most guys that I've talked to have told me that they always found a way around those things. They always found a way to outsmart their accountability partner. They always found a way to get around the filter on the internet. They always found a way to deceive the group there at the, the group sessions. And what it finally came down to for each person that I've spoken to that has gained a victory is simply this. They gained the victory when they realized that this was a great sin against God. This was great wickedness, and they threw themselves basically upon the mercy of God and asked God to to forgive them and to empower them to have victory. That's the way to get it. You see, because it's it's a matter of the heart. And when the heart is set upon the Lord... And when the heart has a genuine sense of the fear of God, we're not going to go in that direction. We're going to look at that temptation as it comes our way. And instead of being drawn to it, we're going to be repelled by it. We're going to say, that's great wickedness. And that is sin against the Lord. And I'm not going to entertain it. I'm not going to dabble with it. I'm not going to give it another moment's time in my mind or or before my eyes. So Joseph set the example for us so long ago. So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. So she was persistent, obviously. This wasn't just a one-time occurrence. She kept pressuring him. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, see, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out 
with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. So a wicked woman, to say the least. Notice what Joseph did. He fled. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, said, flee sexual immorality. Paul, in writing to Timothy, said, flee youthful lust. And you know, it's perfectly acceptable and advisable if you find yourself in a situation where you're tempted and you're on the verge of falling into sin, it's perfectly acceptable and highly advisable to flee. Run. Get out of the situation as quick as you can. As stupid as you might feel, as weird as it might look, running out of a situation, it's worth it. Do it. Flee from it. Get away from it. That's what Joseph did. And, and again, you know, you can see the, the spiritual stamina that this young guy had. I mean, this woman is pressuring him day after day after day. And then when she finally grabs him, I mean, you, you know, you could see how, you know, somebody of, of lesser character would just finally just give in, but not with Joseph. When she grabs him, he leaves his coat behind and he flees, but then... She turns that against him. So she then spoke to her husband with words like these, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. And so it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. And so it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. And then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Now, it's interesting, when it says that his master's anger was aroused, it's not really clear just who he was angry at. And it's possible, and I think even probable, that his anger was aroused with his wife. I think Potiphar had full and complete confidence in Joseph's innocence. But, of course, he's got to do something. And so he puts him in in the prison house. But if you go back to who Potiphar was, remember that he is the captain of the guard. So it would almost seem that Potiphar intentionally moves Joseph out of the situation there and puts him in a place away from his wife and in a place where, you know, he's still in, in... you know, he's being confined, but immediately, once again, he finds tremendous favor there within the prison. And so he goes from a highly favorable position in the house of Potiphar until his, Potiphar's wife does this. And, and then when he's removed from there into the prison, he once again begins to experience this tremendous favor from the man that was heading up the prison there. So it could be, it's not for certain, but it could be that Potiphar believed in Joseph's innocence and and yet had to sort of go through some seemingly disciplinary thing. And and so he 
puts Joseph in knowing that he's going to encourage those over him to favor him. Now, here's the thing that becomes difficult for us. What happened to Joseph? He did the right thing, but look what happens. He, he did the right thing. He held on to his integrity. He refused to sin against the Lord. Now, again, in our way of thinking so often, we would conclude that, well, you know, when you obey the Lord like that, then obviously you're going to be blessed and you're going to be freed from your troubles and you're going to be rewarded by God for that obedience. But sometimes, as in the case here with Joseph, he does everything right, but things still do not turn out for him the way we might have expected. And this is something that we need to understand because it's true with us as well. You know, sometimes we actually get in more trouble for doing the right thing. And we've got to get into our minds just the understanding that it is possible that even though we're doing the right thing, we're still going to suffer sometimes. And we see that consistently revealed in the scripture. Of course, Jesus is the great exam- greatest example of all. Jesus always did the right thing. But look at the suffering that Jesus went through. Look at the persecution that he experienced. Look at the apostles. You think of when they were you know, going about their ministry. And remember the one occasion where they healed the man who was lame there at the beautiful gate and the authorities were upset at them and called them in and began to question them. And Peter, acknowledging kind of the strangeness of the whole thing, he says to them, if we are called into question this day for a good deed done to a crippled man, then we'll, we'll tell you how it all happened. It happened by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But the point that Peter was making is how ironic that we're standing here being condemned for doing a good thing. It doesn't seem like that would be the way it is, but sometimes that is the way it is. And that was the case with Joseph. He did the right thing, but doing the right thing led to further difficulty for him in one sense. But again, we have to back up and we have to see that God's working out something bigger than Joseph himself even understands at this point. And as, again, we, we talked about providence previously, the thing about providence that's so difficult is most of the time we don't recognize it until God has completed what he's doing providentially. When we're in the, in the middle of that providential process, most of the time, we don't know we're in the middle of the providential process. Joseph had not the slightest idea. You can bet this is the truth. Joseph had not the slightest idea that he was going to end up where he would ultimately end up. He knew that the Lord was with him, even in the midst of his affliction, but he really didn't see the bigger picture. He didn't know where this whole thing was headed. He didn't know that in God's providential plan, he had actually orchestrated these events 
to take Joseph from Canaan to put him in Egypt to give him authority so when this great famine comes upon the land, Joseph's family will survive it. It's amazing. Joseph didn't have a clue that that's what was going on. All Joseph knew is that he was going from one bad situation to another. And so it was. Joseph's master took him, put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. And here's the the final point I'll make on that. The Lord won't necessarily keep us out of prison, but he will be with us in prison. The Lord won't necessarily keep us out of trials, but he will be with us in trials. The Lord won't necessarily keep us out of difficulty or hardship or pain, but he will be with us in the midst of those things. You see, it's a completely wrong idea to think that just because we're Christians, we're going to be kept from those kinds of things. And that's something that I think quite often we do fall into thinking. We think it a strange thing concerning the fiery trial that was to try us. We think it's strange. What is going on? This, is, this shouldn't be happening. I'm, I'm a child of God. Not only am I a child of God, but Lord, I'm, I'm a good child. I'm a sincere. <laughs> I'm not like those backsliding children of yours. I'm trying to do the right thing. And yet I find myself in this kind of a situation. You see, that, that just shows that, that we do have that kind of mentality. You know, it's interesting, in Romans chapter 8, Paul, um, he, he quotes from the Psalms there, and he, he says, for your sakes, we are killed all day long. And then he goes on and he lists, you know, the, the tribulation and the different things that we go through. And Paul says, really, in essence, that these things are all part of the proofs that we are God's children, where we quite often look at those things and think that they indicate something else. Maybe we're out of favor with the Lord. But here's Joseph, and the Lord is with him. Not delivering him from, but strengthening him in the midst of his trouble And notice as well that to Potiphar and now to the man who's uh, the head over the prison, notice there is, there's something in Joseph that they see that is, is a testimony to the living God. And that's what happens. When we go through our prison experiences, whatever they might be, and the Lord is with us, and we embrace his comfort and his encouragement, and we believe in his promises, you know, other people, they see that. How many people have come to faith in Christ ultimately because of observing a believer going through 
a deep and difficult time and yet maintaining a, a quiet confidence in the Lord. And, and people look on, they see that stuff. And those are sometimes the very things that move others. And no doubt these men were, were greatly impressed with the reality of this living God, Yahweh, because of Joseph's example. Now, it came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them so they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, we each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Now, remember, Joseph has had some dreams of his own, hasn't he? And so when he hears about the fact that these men have had dreams, and notice they're visibly shaken by these dreams. So Joseph evidently realizes that there's something more to this than just, you know, the average dream. But he says, do not interpretations belong to God. Joseph knows something about dreams. He also knows something about the Lord giving the interpretation of those dreams. So the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, behold, in my dream, a vine was before me and in the vine were three branches it was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former matter when you were his butler." So Joseph has the interpretation. God's given it to him. And listen, verse 14, but remember me when it is well with you. And please show kindness to me. Make mention to me of Pharaoh or make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And I also have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. So, you know, it was no holiday for Joseph to be in there. He was, that God's favor was upon him. He blessed him while he was there, but obviously Joseph doesn't want to be there indefinitely. He wants out. So he says to the man, remember me. Now, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, not good. This is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head.
the month of December, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Sauls. Global mental health issues are on the rise. Over a billion people globally are living with anxiety or depression, especially among teens and young adults. Guilt and regret are becoming identity-defining forces. So how can we deal with this mental health crisis in our own lives and be a help in the lives of others? Well, in his book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, Scott Sauls presents a practical theology of suffering that will infuse your regret, hurt, and fear with a hope of gospel-saturated meaning. This book will give you the practical insights needed to find purpose in your own regrets, hurts, and fears. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Sauls. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. Next week, we'll be taking a break in our study through Genesis and beginning a special Christmas series, starting with The Miracle of Christmas. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.